Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars about game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers at Metatopia 2023. Episode 357, Spinning a Relationship Web. Hosted by Jason Pitt, Jennifer Adcock, Brendan Taylor, and Olivia Montoya. Hello. Welcome to Spinning Relationship Webs, presented at Metatopia 2023 in person. So yes, my name is Jason Pitt from Genesis of Legend Publishing. I'm a game designer and publisher uh, who is fascinated at the power of relationship webs for fostering drama, uh, particularly in tabletop games, and how um, it is of vital importance to create a strong, cohesive web that will um, inspire play. To my left... Uh, hello, I'm Jennifer Adcock. I designed The Price of Coal as, uh, as well as some other games. I I do technically have a game publisher name on here, but it's not real. Don't believe it. It's full of lies. Um, so I'm not representing a company here today. I'm just representing myself and my love of exploring relationships through games and using relationships to explore a broad range of topics. And to my left, uh, Brennan Taylor. Uh, I'm a game designer. Uh, my company is called Galileo Games. Um, I've designed a number of games, including uh, Bulldogs, Mortal Coil, and uh, uh, How We Came to Live Here, which is going to be most relevant to this one because it has a relationship uh, building mechanic in it. Um, and I'm just excited to talk about this topic. So, Hi, I'm uh, Olivia Montoya. Um, I have been um, writing LARPs to some degree since 2013 <laughs> um, and have participated in multiple uh, group LARP writing events that involved the, this sort of like character web building. I did two of these in college and it was essentially writing a game with between 15 and 20 characters with a group of like uh, three to five uh, people uh, writing and writing it in a week and putting it on the week after that. Nice. And I did that twice. And <laughs> also we were learning version control software uh, because we were writing it in LaTeX. Oh my. <laughs> I mean, this was Stanford University. We, we had enough nerds who were interested in doing it. <laughs> and we were using materials from the MIT Assassin's Guild, which goes back to the early 80s. Oh, God. And is one of the longest continuously running uh, LARP organizations in the world. Um, they are still writing and running LARPs to this day. Cool. Um. Brilliant. So, uh... Let's talk about the different kinds of relationships that can exist. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm assuming that all these relationships are character relationships, not player relationships. Although there <laughs> isn't, that's an entire topic. Yeah. Right. Um, so character to character fictional relationships. Some good uh, reliable categories that I've seen are uh, familial ties. Uh, romantic ties, which are different. Um, we've got uh, professional ties. Uh, we have um, ties associated with uh, ethical or moral or ideological issues. Mm -hmm. um, associational ties. Uh, are there any other good ones? Like what? emotional ties, like yeah. uh, like rivalries. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. One that I always like to, to include is ties of obligation, mm. uh, uh -huh. where there is a debt owed. And those can, of course, be added on top of familial or a friendship or any other kind of relationship as an additional layer. But I think ties of obligation where, like, we both owe something to someone else. And so that has bound us together. The, the obligation being the main link there, I think, is also very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. Teacher, student, mentor, mentee. Yeah, yeah I would yep. count that under probably professional, but yeah. 
but yeah, no, but uh, also academic, not true. Academic yeah. it is, is kind actually of its a own real thing. strong. True. Yeah. <laughs> like mentorship. Uh, yeah. Mentor, mentee. Mentee. Yeah. No, there's a lot there. Um, Shared trauma. Share, oh boy. <laughs> there's a whole level there. Yes. Trauma bonding. Yay! <laughs> the worst and best kind. Um. So. These relationships, uh, the the simplest version of this is a bidirectional, like it is it is a yeah. it is a single relationship between two people. Uh, we are siblings. Yeah, we both have the exact same relationship. Siblings, we know exactly what that is, uh, and uh, those are pretty clean to establish. And even from there, there's so many, there's a lot of different ways to, once you establish, oh, we're siblings, there's a lot of different ways to add complication. Which one of us is older? Which one of us is younger? Yes. Right. Do we know which one of us was mom's favorite? So <laughs> so what we do there is we turn a, um, it's a single relationship, but it's an asymmetrical single relationship. Uh, so I would say... Uh, yeah, like mentor-mentee kind of mm-hmm. th- relationships, things in those domains. They're they're on the same axis of relationship, uh, but there's a differential between the two parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, parents-child, for instance. Right. It's familial on both ends. And then you get the third category, which are uh, independent relationships. So... Uh, I'm in love with you. You're my drug dealer. <laughs> I see no issues springing from this whatsoever. <laughs> um, yeah, and that kind of um, the I think there's a there's a difference to be explored there where you know there's ties that you can't really escape from. If we're parent and child, you know we can renounce each other. You can disown me, anything like that. But you can't really escape the fact that we are parent and child. Yeah. There, that's that's right. a pretty immutable fact. There's immutable relationships and there's mutable ones, which I think is sort of where I was trying to go with that. But, you know, you're in love with me. I'm your drug dealer. There's a lot of different directions that that can go. And I think having... You need a mix of both in a strong relationship web of things that can change and things that can't. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And, and things that are asymmetrical is also... You know, it adds a lot of dramatic tension. So, yeah. Uh, so one of the other points, I, I feel like we're just going very quickly on <laughs> the, the survey, but let, let's do that and then mm-hmm. dig into more specifics. Okay. Uh, so uh, one distinction that I saw Jason Morningstar present uh, online was uh, stable versus unstable. Mm. <clears throat> so... Uh, a stable relationship, parent-child. We are going to maintain parent-child relationship. Fantastic. That's great. <clears throat> An unstable one is um, uh, love drug dealer. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> that's not a thing that is likely to be lasting forever. Something's going to go wrong there. Yeah. One right. way or another. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, what Jason was doing was having, uh, st- what was it? Stable relationships with your, uh, if there's four characters, stable relationships with your neighbors and an unstable one with the person across from you. Mm-hmm. So you have a mixture of these two. So you know where the, all the dramatic, the dramatic tension tends to be loaded on the unstable relationships. But then that ripples through the stable relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. So where's the drama hiding in the unstable relationships? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that ripple effect is really important where let's <clears> say, you know, we have the stable relationship of being siblings. Um, how does it affect you that I'm dealing drugs to someone who you are friends with? Uh-huh. You know, right. You're probably not going to like me very much. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That would cause resentment. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, especially since I'm your boss. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So you you don't you maybe you don't know that I'm in love with your sister. You only know that your sister's a drug dealer. Right. 
and I'm spending a lot of time with her. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, it's it's the mixture of these elements that bring a lot of the spice. Um, this is a technique that has had a lot of development in LARP space. It it is. A, Tabletop RPGs uh, have been doing this uh, since, uh, God, what was that uh, first stop? Like, our maps were first, was that a sorcerer? I don't know. What was the first R map? I don't yeah, know. That's before my time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It predates yeah, Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, very much yeah. so, yeah. <clears throat> I, I learned how to, it, the LARP side of this through an MIT Assassin's Guild style we started sort of doing this in the indie space in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. This has been LARP space since day Since forever, one. yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, fundamentally, the difference is we've got a lot of tools uh, in the tabletop space to force people to do things, and we have a lot, we've got a very low uh, administrator uh, to player ratio. Whereas if you're trying to run a LARP with 60 freaking people, <laughs> you can't have 20 GMs sticking around trying to make sure there's plot happening. Right. Uh, but you can make rolls with relationship webs hooking people together unstable relationship webs scattered throughout making sure that uh, some people are more connected than others uh, some people are in a better place uh, dysfunctional power relationships so that uh, all you need is one person to make trouble and they'll tug on three different uh, relationships and then those will ripple out and tug on other ones like it's real easy to make a dramatic nightmare with LARPs uh, to cover off a huge audience. So LARP rights have mastered these techniques, which is why I'm like, mm, <laughs> <Yeah>. please, experts. <laughs> um, so uh, I basically want to steal as much as possible from LARP rights. Mm-hmm. Um, this is... I know that this is used... Frequently, it, I, I get the impression that this is most used in Secrets and Power style, um, but has a lot of uh, uh, use in things like Parlor LARPs and whatnot as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, Secrets and Powers, please. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's my friend, Bart. <laughs> the Secrets and Powers are... are uh, games where uh, characters are pre-written so that they have uh, these pre-written established connections, goals, uh, uh, things that they need from other characters. Um, it's it's balanced in such a way to like mean that not everyone can reach their goals uh, because uh, the, there's not enough resources for that and uh, so a lot of people's goals are mutually exclusive, but generally it's called secrets of powers because there's secret information that secret from both players and characters um, unless it is revealed in play and characters often have uh, abilities they can use to affect the outcome of different actions or things in the game. Thank you. Yeah, so definitely stealing from LARP rights for tabletop is is interesting. The thing that I personally struggle with sometimes with that, as much as I try, is scale. Where again, in a LARP, you may have five people, you may have 60, you may have 600. No, I don't think so. Um, but whereas in a, a tabletop group, we tend to keep those pretty contained. Not to say that people do not do incredibly huge tabletop games, because they certainly do. But I, I think typically we're seeing capping out at six, seven. Um, and I think one of the things that is important to keep in mind is keeping things to that scale in the table stop, tabletop space, pardon me, um, where, you know, you're not getting into 
factions, let's say, like you might in a LARP, where you have different political affiliations where, you know, we're brother and sister, you're boss and employee, but also the two of us are part of this political organization with a bunch of other people. And I think that's something that's very hard to bring into the tabletop space is faction play um, in those relationship webs as a complicating um, level. Yeah, generally because of the number of players no. that you've got. Uh, but, yeah, so uh, I feel like the cool thing about the tabletop stuff is you can create like lots of tension in a very small space. You know, mm-hmm. the the small uh, area means that uh, almost every character can have a tie to almost every other character, which is uh, which is an advantage in tabletop. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I will frequently map out. Oh, for this convention game, there are five characters. Each of them has a relationship with. Uh, each of the other characters. So let's go see how all of these individual relationships line up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that will give you a pretty solid, tight web. Um, but sometimes it's important to have gaps and have disconnects. Um, one of the... Uh, I was playtesting a LARP um, uh, that... Uh, uh, playing in one of Jason Morningstar's LARPs. And it had a fun uh, system where the organizing principle was you were all in families. And, you know, there were like five different families who were involved at working at this um, factory. Um, and the, it, I didn't share a last name. Uh, I was an immigrant and I didn't share a last name with anyone. So I thought, oh, I'm clearly not part of any of the fa- families. So I just sat in a corner, and I had four, like, five families, and I was the immigrant who (laughs) didn't have a family. Mm -hmm. I was actually supposed to be one of the families. I was marrying the daughter. Uh But, like, that was an interesting dynamic of, like, I I was excised from the social web. So that forced certain kinds of interactions. I find for tabletop play where, like you said, having those gaps are very important. Uh, for When I'm doing games that involve pre-generated characters like The Price of Coal or anything like that, I say pick two relationships generally is a good baseline. Um, unless you're playing with only three players, then I'm like, I'll just pick everybody. But um, pick two, and then you sort of see where the other ones emerge during play. Um, because, you know, again, let's say we're brother and sister, we're a drug dealer and potential lover. We don't have a relationship yet, but maybe you two are actually married. And that's going to make things incredibly interesting for us, even if we don't have a formal relationship established at the start of the game. Right. Yeah, especially like if you've built into the creation of the character, like what are their feelings about uh, like someone that they uh, have? Uh, like what are their morals? What are mm-hmm. like the, like what are their beliefs that will affect how uh, their rela- the relationship? Uh, will continue if they get involved in something that uh, maybe the other one doesn't like. (laughs) And the other half of this is, in such a context, I'm hooked into everyone. Mm -hmm. I'm in the middle of this web. (laughs) But uh, you, uh, Olivia, is not hooked in with Brennan at all, except through proxies. But Uh, that doesn't mean there's not juicy play there, for sure. Oh, there is. But it's uh, tug of war, tug of war for loyalties slash uh, influence of the central figure, and you have your own tension with that, right? But ideally, we would have another person who's hooked in with Brennan and Olivia, and then you have that kind of interaction going on through a proxy. Um, one of the things uh, that. I rely on frequently um, in terms of the limited cast is NPCs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The rule of conservation of NPCs is vital. (laughs) Um, But we have this, we basically have an unlimited number of NPCs available to us in the tabletop realm because we don't need actual, actual bodies. There's just one human who has to figure out a number of funny voices and create some interesting <laughs> names. Um, so they're a dime a dozen. So we can 
fill out the relationship with that way. We just want to make sure that they're not, uh, that they're sufficiently hooked in, that they're not a one, uh, one trick pony, that you've got the depth, uh, from multiple relationships. Because fundamentally, NPCs are nothing but relationships. That's right. all, that's all they are. Um, sometimes they're, they have mechanical abilities to do things too. But for the most part, in the stuff we're talking about, it it is your boss. Like that's it. That's that is what defines their personality and their motivations. Um. So yeah, NPCs are powerful. Mm-hmm. The thing that I find is sometimes tricky to balance, but very important is just making sure that those NPC relationships don't overwhelm player character relationships where they should, in general, they flesh out the map. They don't form the core or center of it. That's right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to have the GM taking basically all of the burden of the, uh, the relationship map on yeah. themselves uh, rather than having the players interacting with each other. Or even Absolutely in GMless true. games, you don't want people being more interested in playing an NPC for one scene than their actual character. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things that I think is super interesting and powerful is the ability, uh, in, at least in the tabletop space that I've done before, is having people script these uh, after character creation rather than mm-hmm. having them predetermined. And that creates a lot of investment in the relationships. Um, one of my games, The Art of Power, which is a uh, political game, uh, you create a relationship and then you give it to the other person and that person has political power over you because of the relationship. So you're basically creating liabilities for yourself yes. as you hand those out, but they don't have to be reciprocal. So sometimes you will be in love with someone and they're not in love with you. Sometimes, you know, unless unless it's a... Uh, Unless it's a familial relationship or something like that, which is by its nature reciprocal. I see a lot of similar things in uh, workshopped LARPs, where the um, the where the characters are created um, in a workshop before the, mm-hmm. the LARP play actually begins, where uh, usually there's some sort of method for creating uh, connections between the characters, uh, where uh, oftentimes like maybe one or two positive relationships and one negative. And uh, sometimes it's like, oh, like the person to your left and your right, if you're doing a LARP in person, for example. And like, uh, and they don't necessarily have to be mutual relationships. It's like right. you go around in a circle, for example, for example, and the, that person would suggest a relationship and the player of that character who was on the other side would say, like whether or not it's reciprocated and whether it's okay to go ahead with that relationship, especially if it's like a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a couple of interesting patterns I've seen. Uh, we actually did a Sagas of, of the Icelanders uh, one-shot, and the fun part there was the, the man was an NPC. Everyone around the man was a PC. <laughs> but it, it was... Uh, everyone was imposing their own identities and their own needs on this NPC. This one NPC to see and, and see how that happens, um, and how they emerge from that. Um, a tactic that I used in uh, Sig Manual of the Primes, which I'm rather proud of, is uh, you define the characters in the following way. There is an NPC between you and the and your the person to your left. There's an NPC between you and the person to the right. Create the NPCs based on each of your independent relationships with that character. So that's my brother, uh, and that's uh, your rival. So because we don't know, have relationships with each other, we have relationships through a proxy. Yeah, I've heard this referred to uh, as, like, creating a triangle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, PC-NPC triangles are um, lingo that we've used for PBTA stuff. So, like, I like that because it forces... It, it's a good excuse to bring a group together mm-hmm. when they're disparate. 
And that ties into, um, at one point, Mark Diaz Truman, uh, he did a very interesting talk on relationships as a holding environment for player characters. And a lot of times in games, something will come up where it's like, why is my character still hanging out with these guys? <laughs> why, are, why are we still hanging out? Why are we still trying to do this thing together? We don't even like each other. Uh, and relationships as a holding environment to keep everybody uh, together is, is one way of doing that, where it's, you know, oh, you saved my life 10 years ago, and I'm, I owe you a life debt, so I'm going to follow you around, um, and you cannot get rid of me. <laughs> uh, that is one type of, of a holding environment relationship. Or, you know, we're siblings, and our mother died, and she made me promise as your older sister never to abandon you, never turn my back on you, and I am obligated to, to fulfill that to our dead mother. So yeah. we, that's, that's why we're still sticking around, even though we're arguing about why we're going into this stupid dungeon in the first place. <laughs> I've also played, I played a LARP earlier this year about like a fairly realistic style of cult, like the mm. kind with like a compound in the desert. And uh, the cult leader was not played um, by anybody or even by a facilitator. There were recordings of their mm. voice during a few different scenes, but like a lot of... Uh, uh, the the characters' interactions to each other were about how how they were connected to the cult leader. Hmm, I like that. It's very interesting. Yeah. So, uh, so many different ways we could go on here. Uh, so, a couple interesting techniques that I'd love to see us use more uh, are things like uh, status lines uh, that are frequently found in LARPs. Uh, can you explain what a status line is? Uh, it might be a different okay, terminology what, yeah, okay. than what I'm used to. Oh, well, <laughs> people line up on various axes to see the axes of this relationship from, like, youngest to oldest. Or, um, I, I ran into this in residency, so I assumed that that was the lingo in, in question. Uh, youngest to oldest, or um, uh, happiest to a most depressed. <laughs> God, yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar that with that would get quite interesting. But um, like, there's definitely lots of hierarchies come up. In yeah. Groups. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a thing that I run into. Uh, like, uh, we played. Um, oh God, th uh, this is my power button. And uh, one of it was, what level of emotional intensity do you want to have with your partner? So people on that end of the line chose partners who wanted a silly game. People in this one wanted their hearts broken. Uh, yeah, so like uh, calibration of play, that yep. is, um, that, that's often how it gets referred to. Um, and not necessarily in exactly the sa in that, that same way, but uh, especially since most LARPs are not mainly paired interactions. Right, yeah. um, there are some, uh, for sure. And that's the kind of thing you generally calibrate with a partner beforehand. Okay, uh, like, how, how intense do you want us to be getting in this? And are, like, are there any topics we want to avoid as, like, in, like with lines and veils type? Uh, like, uh, even though lines and veils is not specifically a LARP technique, uh, I've been introducing it in uh, some of the games that I write. So the reason why I'm bringing it up is because... Basically, a ranked ordering of characters on different dimensions seems like a really powerful. It seems technique. like a very ripe space, yeah. Um, yeah. I just don't know if it's been used that much in tabletop. I haven't run into yeah. it, but Nor that doesn't mean somebody didn't do it. But yeah. <laughs> maybe someone here. I have, I have actually played in a LARP where we had like one of those like across the line style games that you see in like college dorms, where like step uh, uh, put yourself about how far as you expect um, uh, you are between like this extreme and this extreme, or step to the left if you're this thing, step to the right if you're this thing. Um, Oh, and I actually have, I played another LARP that did actually have, like, an axis of answers to different questions to determine, like, um, what groups people grouped up with. So, um, like, do you consider yourself more this or this? And uh, that was the first axis, and uh, we as players, depending on what we wanted our characters to do, would put ourselves in a specific point there. And then there was a second axis with a different question, and then the clusters um, became the t different uh, 
groups that were in this LARP. It was mm. a graffiti LARP where these were uh, like our uh, our group. Uh, the, the groups that were created for this were the people who had uh, similar goals and would work together to create graffiti. It was a, it was a pervasive LARP. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's a very interesting way again to sort of create factions like that, where mm-hmm. it makes sense that those characters would naturally adhere to each other because of their priorities. Yeah, I thought um, it was it was pretty clever. <laughs> yeah, I love that type of um, a relationship based on a shared goal or a shared um, ethos, perhaps is the better way to put that. Even if you otherwise have nothing in common, I think that can still be very strong. I think a lot of people think of that as sort of a weaker relationship. A blood is thicker than water type of thing but i think it's that that um chosen sense of we both really believe in this cause so we are going to work together to make it happen um can be incredibly potent when it's used well um just in the sense of (sighs) this is we have a very clear thing that's bringing us together that we chose i guess is the way that i'm wrapping that up (laughs) yeah the graffiti game was like exactly about the experience of being a bunch of very different people who other uh, other than that uh, uh, other than their shared like ideology like they were very different people mm-hmm. but the ideology was the thing that they came together on in their art and collaborated and created something uh, for the group specifically mm-hmm. one of the things that I did with um, the price of coal um, which is about uh, a coal mining union as well as their relationships with the town folk in the town that they are in there are six coal miner characters their affiliation is just that they are in the union together they are in this cause for for um, for better or for worse hopefully for better uh, but they also each have a relationship with a townsperson a spouse a parent a sibling something like that who all have relationships with each other Um, And I think one of the interesting things you can do with that is, you know, again, tugging on those alliances where you can say, hey, spouse, I'm so sorry that I have this thing I have to do for the union. My union boss says this is this is the course of action that we are taking and I'm following this. And my spouse is going to go talk to his spouse and be like, fucking excuse me. What did you tell my husband he needs to do? (laughs) Yeah. Or like, no. I forbid it. You can't go on on the strike Mm -hmm. line. Uh, I'm pregnant. Mm -hmm. Like, no. And those are fun dynamics. Um, There was a thing I was going to say. Oh, yes. So for clusters, you can get some very interesting dynamics about carefully tailoring the relationships of People that are in the same cluster and then intentionally making relationships uh, on different axes between people on different clusters. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're the Capulets and they're the Montagues, <laughs> but we're doing a strata-crossed lovers relationship that's causing all sorts of tension. This, this gets really fun in LARPs, where especially where there's, like, uh, a few different main factions that are, like, vocally, like, publicly against each other. Um, uh, like, I played a game recent, uh, recently, this earlier this year, that uh, at, the, at the end of the game, uh, the GM and slash writer uh, uh, faced the, all the players and asked uh, and said, Raise your hand if you were in a secret conspiracy with several uh, uh, with any other players, and like almost every single person raised their hand, <laughs> and like that. So like almost all of them were working across party lines with someone else, or had a relationship with someone, uh, or multiple relationships across lines, and like not all of the, like in a lot of the cases, like. Like if, if there was cheating involved, they, they didn't know about that part, and like a lot of drama was created because of these uh, taboo relationships. Uh, Honestly, I think that we could legitimately mine a lot of material out of soap operas. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Because it's an established genre. And it's also... Is that like the first or the second licensed role-playing game ever? Dallas. Dallas. It was 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 pretty early. the first one. I think it was the first actual uh, licensed IP. Like, that's wild. <laughs> um, so it's some old tech. 
It's right up there with Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. Um, we have a weird hobby and weird history. <laughs> um, but, like, I I will just highlight uh, Passion de les Passiones. Uh, I'm mispronouncing that. But it's uh, by... Um, Brennan Lee and Gambetta. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. My brain is Swiss cheese. Um, which is... Um, Mexican telenovelas. It's magical. Um, oh, yes. It is a delight. Yeah, it is a true joy. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I really love exploring is, um, I guess I'll say, I usually think of them in my mind as fuzzy relationships or soft relationships, where there isn't actually any type of formal bond. There's no like one word that summarizes it. But maybe there's a relationship question like, why do I amuse you? What do, why do you surprise me? Or something like that. Something that creates some type of link where our characters know each other. We've observed something about each other. But it's not formal. But it could become so during the game. And I think that's a really fun, fun space to explore that is also in, like, imagine a TV show with a large cast of characters, like a soap opera, but not necessarily, where you have characters who don't necessarily interact until season two or three. Yep. Uh... So, one of the elements here is the magnitude of the relationship. Mm-hmm. So, a, oh, you know what? Uh, I like your sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Is a very low magnitude relationship. I would uh, do anything and uh, kill uh, <laughs> the president of Zimbabwe uh, for your love. Uh, is a very high magnitude. So, paying attention to the uh, the length of this vector, basically, uh, is an is another important element for us to consider. So, what are the let like let's talk and think about what are these different elements? So, we have the extent of the relationship. Mm-hmm. We have it. Is it positive or negative? Right. We have it uh, symmetrical or asymmetrical. Uh, what domain of action we're in. Uh, are there any other really good, like, dimensions of relationships? So I do like to think about... Stable the, and unstable. Yeah, stable and unstable. I do like to think about the longevity of a relationship. Mm. If we're parent and child, I you've been my parent my whole life. Right. Whereas, you know, maybe I am desperately, passionately in love with my new boyfriend that I met two weeks ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that, the, and so, yeah, playing with those and having a mix of those is what's important, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, not making sure that you're not doing... Not everything is all the same uh, between everybody. Uh Keep, keeping making sure that uh, each of those axes is fully explored. Yeah, drama can also be uh, created if, uh, like, okay, these two people do have a, a relationship uh, that they understand about each other, but maybe at different intensities in one direction. Yes. Uh, so one interesting structure that I've seen uh, is used in Umbrella Academy... And it's used in uh, the Die RPG comic, mm-hmm. which is, we were tight. We had this really strong relationship, and we have not seen each other for 20 years for a good reason. <laughs> uh, most likely someone we all had in common died. Well, this is awkward. Um... So you get a whole bunch of new relationships, and then people get hauled back to their past and deal with their old relationships, which have mm-hmm. decayed and twisted over the years. I've, I've co-written two LARPs, uh, one of which has, is still not finished, but um, two, two LARPs that were sort of about this premise of people who used to be very close in the past um, coming back together and like 
figuring out like what are they going to do about these sort of unfinished business of the past well, one of them is an, an amnesia game too making them especially fun <laughs> i will say i think that's one of those things where i i find, i'm so interested in the the history of a relationship how it's changed over time that it's made playing like young characters or games where you are specifically all playing young characters really unappealing to me <laughs> like i i adore kids on bikes i don't want to play it anymore because inherently your characters don't all have that kind of history with each other because you're all nine years old <laughs> i mean we've been friends play you play it when they're 12 yeah and when they're 18 yeah and when they're 22 and then it gets it then it gets juicy right. yeah uh, or, or even like we were friends in kindergarten and then one of the things there is actually uh, the length of a relationship is proportional to the age of the character. Yes, absolutely. So we we're in fifth grade, but we've been playing together since kindergarten. Like, th this has yeah. been our entire your whole, lives. Your whole sentience, yeah. <laughs> or when you have, and I, I, I admit I have a huge soft spot for very elderly characters, uh, where you have that decades of history, but it's unchanged sometimes. Like, we've just been bridge partners for 40 years, and we've never, we don't talk about our personal lives, and then one day we realize, oh my god, I've been in love with you this whole time. Um. One uh, book that I uh, recently read, uh, which I adore for this, was uh, The Time Traveler's Wife. In part because he's a time traveler. Uh, when he was 28, he met his future wife because she's known him for her entire life because he traveled back in time to when she was six. And it's a great, it's a great it, account. Oh, that, that, I that, that oh you're going to like the sound of this. I've played a LARP that's inspired by the time traveler's oh. wife. It's a two player LARP and it takes place like, uh, during a meeting between the two of them. And, and for one of them, it's the last meeting. Oh, it, mm -hmm. I cried more in that, in that LARP than any other LARP I've ever played. And it was amazing. <laughs> And you can even do that exploring with anachronistic play, something like The Last Five Years, uh, which is a, a play where the woman's songs are sung forward, full of hope for her new relationship from their first meeting onwards. They meet in the middle. His songs are sung backwards from the end of the relationship back to the start. Uh, it's a very heartbreaking musical. I do love it. Um, but again, I think that's something where I think it's maybe easier in tabletop than in LARP, just based on my experiences doing anachronistic play, out-of-order scenes and things like that. You definitely can do it in LARP, certainly. Um, but I think with things like Microscope or things like that, where you can sort of, you have just the grid of scenes of events that have happened before you, uh, I think that can be a bit simpler. So, uh, we've been talking a lot, <laughs> and we've got a few minutes left, so... Let's uh, toss some questions out to the audience. Does anyone have questions, comments, more of a comment than a question? <laughs> yes. Um, I, so you were talking about sort of like this idea of like the permanence of like, you're my mother, you've always been my mother, you're always going to be my mother. And it brought up, um, if you've seen the recent adaptation of Interview with a Vampire, mm -hmm. where you have a situation where this is definitely a familial dynamic. But at one point, one of the characters decides, I'm not your child anymore, I'm your sister now. Yeah. Um, and I was sort of wondering if you got, what you guys thought in terms of, like, when you have, like, adopted relationships like that, how that can be, like, a different, you know, because that can obviously be just, like, a very traditional, like, oh, you're my child, like, you know, yeah. you're my child, but, like, also the way that that can shift based on, like, yeah, I think that's a definitely a unique case. Um, obviously, most people are not going around declaring themselves to be their parents' siblings. Um, but I do, I do think that that can, you can definitely see family relationships change over time, and obviously, any other kind of relationship um, changes constantly, often. Um, but I do think that would be a very interesting thing to explore mechanically, and how that changes how your characters see each other. Um, you know, how does the former parent, now sibling, how does that change their perception, not only of the other character, but of themselves? Um, and I think that would be a very ripe play space. Fantasy and sci-fi settings can also, like, introduce some, like, intentions that aren't 
uh, possible in real life. Like, mm-hmm. especially if you have, say, a character who becomes frozen at a specific age into mortal, and maybe their um, old, formerly older sibling age, uh, or formerly younger sibling ages past them, and like they're still they still look the same, um, or like a sci-fi setting with time travel and uh, uh, stuff like that could. Umbrella Academy. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> a great example of that is number five is 66 or something. Yeah, yeah. Because he's been in the future. He comes back to occupy his 13-year-old body. <laughs> in the in the Netflix series, the actor who plays the kid does such a fantastic <laughs> job of playing this jaded, unhappy old man. All, he thinks these guys are idiots, and I'm like... I love you. <laughs> yeah. The dynamic of these relationships is so well done. Uh, I also think that changing relationships and recontextualizing relationships is so powerful. Uh, so I am my mother's uh, disappointing son. Ten years later, uh, I'm my mother's only remaining son. That's a thing. Yeah. Or uh, uh, when a character discovers that the relationship they thought they had, especially a familiar relationship, was based on their misconception, and you know, they come to realize, oh wow, my father actually did love me, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things when it's done right, it it's really powerful. Yeah, I've seen uh, great use of like contingency envelopes for things like that in some place in mm-hmm. some LARPs where, like, oh, you're you're like where that's like the like the the peak of their arc with that uh, that relationship, uh, or they've spent the entire time thinking like, oh, this this person uh, hates me, or this person did a horrible thing, and only then for them to discover I was totally wrong, and right. it, it may be too late to do anything about it uh, if they want it, uh, it, it at war. Or there might still be just just enough time to do something about that before the game ends. I want to say the Three Musketeers LARP was one of the goals for several characters was to win the heart of whoever they were. Can't remember. And each person had different criteria to win the heart, and it was a huge. Everyone was kind of even if they weren't part of that plot. They were focused on how well are you guys doing? How's it going? What's going on? <laughs> and then uh, each heart, when you opened because it was a prop, when you opened it, it kind of revealed what you know. And there was a lot of romance plots and a lot of you know, open the heart and oh yeah, and a lot of excitement. And when that main plot finally came to a conclusion, and one of the musketeers won that person's heart. And they opened it, and it was a black heart on the inside. It killed uh, almost all yeah. of us. We were like, oh, oh my god. <laughs> She's a terrible person. <laughs> I do like when you can get outside parties invested in a relationship in a game. I sometimes, I caution balance with that, where you don't necessarily want one PC to be the main character right, of right. a game. Um, unless occasionally, sometimes well, she, you do. It depends, yeah. Um, but no, I think that's... <laughs> yeah, I do, th- I do think that's very juicy, where you can have outside parties who are perhaps meddling in a relationship or interfering to, to change the outcome one way or another. Uh, so, there's another aspect to relationships. Sorry. Uh, well, I was curious about, um, like, I'm, uh, since you were talking about, like, the secrets and powers stuff, I'm not a LARPer, but I'm designing a, a tabletop a role-playing game where um, relationships are established through secrets that the characters have. Um, and one thing that I found through playtesting was it felt uh, like I had it played where, like, the secrets were secret from the other players. Like, you, if somebody else was involved in your secret, then they would know about it, but otherwise other players would have access to. And I found that that made it challenging to then uh, like move the story forward in interesting ways. Mm. Uh, and so now I'm planning to playtest it as um, where the secrets are like known by players, but not by characters. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of curious on thought, like your thoughts on how to, like I'm, I, so, I want that to feel balanced as far as like the stakes of the secrets still feel like 
secrets, but also like taking into account kind of like having those relationships publicly known to players. So part, part of the way this works out in Secrets and Powers LARPs is that there are characters who, like some of their goals, involve digging up the other people's secrets. Um, so like in in some time, it, it, like, as you as a player, you know your secret is probably going to come out, and it's probably ideal if it comes out in some way. Um, but you might not have uh, control over when the secret comes out, but... Um, it, and so there, therefore you might want to like, especially with like, oh, maybe this character wants to share a secret with a specific other character. And, but that character, once they know the secret, could potentially spread it around uh, elsewhere as well. So like it, drama is created. And even if you don't, uh, uh, if you don't, uh, your character doesn't themselves want to share the secret, someone might dig it up anyway. And I don't know what type of um, like narrative currencies or anything like that your game might have. Um, I think there is a very real possibility to incentivize creating the moments for the revelation of a secret at different um, narrative or dramatic beats, where you can say, "Okay, yes, you will. Re- your secret will be revealed, and that will probably be bad for you narratively, but it's going to give you X number of I don't know drama points that you can use to do something else in the story later." Um, and I think there's a real opportunity to encourage them to make a moment for themselves out of the revelation of their secrets. I actually have that. I have unfortunately, <laughs> it's still like, it felt, there felt like this absence of like, oh, there's all these interesting relationships. Mm-hmm. We don't all know that. So yeah. It's hard to play into them. Mm-hmm. Understandable. Well, maybe it's something, it's like a time thing also, where it's like yeah. over the course of the game. Uh, so... That's actually playing off what I what I was wanting to bring up, which was transparency of relationships. There are some. Maybe we're the only ones who know about the drug dealing <laughs> yes. thing. Don't tell my brother. You your, know? Your, your brother has no idea you're dealing drugs, but it's very obvious he absolutely knows I'm in love with you. Uh, so. Uh, those kinds of some are public, some are transparent, some are not. Where there's ambiguity and who knows what information. Mm-hmm. Someone lets it slip and yep. uh, draw. Wait, you didn't know about the divorce? <laughs> right. I mean, in, in relationships, it's there's a power in knowing something. Yes. You know, it's there's no power for you in knowing she's the drug dealer. Right. But there is power. For him, yep. in knowing she's so exactly. that's one of those mechanics that's like, if I know your secret, I have power, you know. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. so that's a tricky balance. So, about uh, a time here. Yeah. Oh, yes. I think we are pretty much good. So, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, everyone. This was a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for pulling me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If anyone has any interest in talking about LARP outside of this, I am always up for talking about LARP. (laughs) Are we supposed to do anything with the uh, the recording or...?